0: Double. It's the finisher supreme,
1: Lawrence Shankland!
0: Hello and welcome to Scarves Around the Funnel, the podcast dedicated to Heart to Midlothian Football Club, who have made another big managerial change, or or have they? Maybe, maybe not. Well, we'll discuss it in this week's episode, which um, we've we've kind of torn up the script for a little bit. We're recording on Wednesday, sixth of September, and we were all scheduled to have a little dissection of the Motherwell game that happened at the weekend and talk about what's coming next. But Hearts have put an announcement out there today regarding management, and although it's maybe not a huge surprise as such it has provoked a bit more of a reaction so we're going to focus on that a little bit more and less of a deep dive into the game that just took place. I am Laurie Donsire, joined once again by Mark Donaldson who is not in his usual spot back in Connecticut still in the US of A but I believe you're covering a a slightly different sport, so you um, may get called away at short notice and your audio may not be quite as good as normal.
2: No, no, but I've I've hopefully still have plenty to say. I'm sitting high above Arthur Ashe Stadium Court in New York at the US Open, and in about 45 minutes I'll be calling another match. So I was desperate to have a say this week. thoroughly enjoyed you and, and Scott over the past couple of weeks on Make Some Noise and the podcast last week. Um, I did a Google search. So this is the response to the Google search that I did. The term dates at least as far back as the Vietnam War, as military slang for doomed decisions resulting from the toxic combination of too many high-ranking officers and too little on-the-ground information. The Google search simply said, where does the term clusterfuck come from?
0: I wondered where you were going with that.
2: <laughs> exactly, I had to build the tension up. And the other thing that comes just below that: what's the difference between a snafu, a shit show, and a clusterfuck? Shall we talk about that in the next hour or so?
0: Um, why not? And uh, since his views have been um, so good to hear over some recent episodes, and we know he's being progressively maybe less um, balanced. <laughs> <laughs> going from being the um, the giver of all things um, objective and just keeping things reasoned to just being another pant wetter, I think is the term. Um, but however this
1: one goes, we're delighted to have him back. Scott McIntosh. Cheers, guys. I have to be honest. If I knew Mark was going to be bringing out the, the Vietnam slang, I would have asked to have been introduced before he came on. Because <laughs> how do you top that? Uh, so, thanks for that, Mark. But I uh, really good to join you guys again. Thanks for having me on.
0: And you know, we we, we did bring you on when, when we, thought I, we thought I wasn't maybe going to be available because we knew when we'd spoken to you previously, you always give a very balanced and sort of sensible approach to things. You take your time and you know, nothing crazy. Um, I get the impression, maybe. From chatting to you in the build-up to, to coming on with this one and with the latest update, that maybe now you are just maybe you are just one of those fans that stays back at Dens Park and screams at the players as they walk off.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I'm I'm trying. The pitchforks aren't out yet. Let's put it that way, you know. Uh, but
0: but you've looked out. You know what it is. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah on the it's <laughs> leaning on the edge of the shed.
1: Yes. Yes. It's it's well within reach. Let's just put it that way. Uh, but yeah, I mean. I I've put an article this morning on the website, and I am trying to still be as constructively, you know, uh, disagreeable with the board and their decision making as I can be. And you've always got to try and, you know, try and take the emotion away as much as you can because that does tend to lead you to making either trivial observations or or coming across a little bit petty, which I maybe did do last week when I was lightning Joe Savage to to Mike Bassett uh, in terms of his antics over in Greece. So I'm going to try and refrain from that tonight and, and try and just stick to the facts and you know, what I can see with my eyes week to week.
0: From happy clapping to pant-wetting and everything in between, we'll, we'll try and cover the feelings of the fans uh, around tank Castle just now. We've got plenty of responses on Twitter, a few emails to get to as well. So uh, let's get stuck in and, and crack on with this week's episode of Scarves Around the Funnel. You're listening to Scarves Around the Funnel, sponsored by Forrest Hepburn and McDonald Signs, who have been offering creative sign and print solutions since the 1950s. So, so first up, we've we got a couple of emails. I'm going to get to these first. Now, both of these were sent before the update today. And of course, the update I'm talking about is the fact that Stephen Naismith has been named as head coach at Heart of Midlothian. Ooh shock um i think we don't think there was much shock about this one but yes stephen a smith will now be head coach on a permanent basis with frankie mcavoy returning to the position of assistant coach so just to clarify that the emails we received were from before this update but i'll I'll get to them anyway first one was from john cleland who says um hi guys a regular listener and enjoy the pod every week especially given its balance and often uh, it often levels me out okay hopefully we can keep doing that this week john Uh, Particularly following performance like we saw on Sunday, Uh, my main concern thought is something I hope Gowza might have a little insight on. Unfortunately, McGowan's currently trying to work his way back into the St. Johnston team, so we're not going him on. So, um, but maybe we can help. Uh, he says, so we were t- promised attacking football when Naismith took over as interim following the sacking of Robbie Nielsen. And we did see it for a couple of games against Ross County and Aberdeen at home. But by large, up to this point, we've seen the same old that we've seen under Nielsen, albeit the odd 20, 30 minutes each game so far this season. So it leaves me with three questions in my head. One, is this just a series of habits within the team from the coaching of the previous coaching staff that will take time to phase out? Two, is it a confidence thing with the players and they revert back to this to keep possession? Three... Do the players even realise they're doing it at the time or is it a subconscious habit that they can't see what they're doing until after? I wouldn't have thought it's what they're being instructed to do as we can quite clearly see Naismith on the touchline berating players and telling them to push up and move the ball forward and quicker so I don't know why we're still seeing this happen but it would seem that other teams within the league have already sussed us out and our target in particular players within our team and if we don't address them quickly as well as well as the lack of creativity in midfield I fear for the season ahead. Cheers. John. Mark, um, we'll start with you because I spoke to Scott about this similarly. Now, I'm not going to go into the Motherwell game specifics so, as much, but it kind of applies to this. And I said it to Scott when we, we spoke before. Um, we did see Stephen Naismith in recent games berating the team telling tell him to push up. But we saw that from Robbie Nielsen as well. I, I think I commented on it a few times in the podcast. We could see those games where he was getting as frustrated as the fans about the lack of forward play, the lack of tempo. Um how much is this often attributed to managers tactics and I don't know what you thought of what I put to Scott recently which was two hearts generally And I, I, you know, under Naismith under Nielsen under Levine we saw as well are we trying to be approach a game with, in an approach that we can't do because we're just not good enough to do it in terms of we have slightly better players than a lot of the teams we're playing but not good enough to go out there and say right we're going to control possession and pass our way through. Because not many teams can do that at, at any level.
2: Are we signing the right players? Are we signing players that can handle the occasion? Are we signing players that want the ball when 17,000 people are screaming on them to take the fucking ball and move fucking forward for a change? Are we signing players that aren't frightened to make a mistake in front of 17,000 angry people that want the ball that aren't frightened to make a mistake? So there's an argument about recruitment here. And this this is much bigger than where we are right now. This is something that you, me, Scott, everyone who listens to this podcast will have seen in various hearts players. When Tynecastle gets nasty, Tynecastle's a rough place to play. And there's not that many that can handle it. And that goes down to recruitment. So I think there's a lot of blame for a lot of people. Whether it's recruitment, whether it's disenchantment, whether it's the board, we don't know. And actually, going back to this, we don't know what happens in a boardroom. We don't know what happens in training. We don't know who the, the, the main kind of alpha voice is between Stephen Naismith and Frankie McAvoy. But it reminds me of a scene in Still Game when Winston goes into the bookies. The bookies is reopened, and Stevie's come back as Frankie. And Frankie the bookie <laughs> looks really like Stevie the bookie, but he claims he's his brother. And ultimately, it's the same person. But ultimately, both of them get shafted because that's the way it is. Stevie, Frankie, and where do we go with this? This This is a situation of our own making. One of the reasons for where we are right now and the way we're being basically mocked, both internally and externally, is perhaps a lack of knowledge that when the decision was made back in April to get rid of Robbie Nielsen but to employ... Stephen Naismith subsequently, and Frankie McAvoy. That decision was taken, and I don't think they knew all the rules and regulations that are stipulated by UEFA in competition. And that then led to more change. Well, he's the boss, but he's going to be called the technical director. So there's got to be a large chunk of the blame put on the board for this. So what are we to do now? Are we to say, well, that was Frankie McAvoy's team that lost against Dundee at Dens Park, and it lost at home to Motherwell? I don't think so, because they were at pains to say on Sky Sports News prior to the start of the season that, nope, it's just the way it was. Nothing's really changed. So does that now mean that Stephen Naismith is on a much shorter leash because of the ineptitude of the decision-making so far?
0: Yeah, in terms of the it's and you're mentioning that, and um, if we include... The games. So if you look at league games and we include the games, at the start of the season so far. So it's 11 league games under um, McAvoy, Naismith, one of the two, whoever's ahead. Three wins out of 11 league games. It's a 27% win rate. League foreman Robin Nielsen's last 11 games, four wins, 36% win rate. Obviously, it was a lot longer. He was in charge. We did lose four league games in a row at the end and five in a row in all competition. Um, But not a heap of improvement there, not much improvement on the park. Uh, We've got another email here, Scott, and I'm going to come to you about this one. This is probably the last thing I'm going to touch upon, maybe Motherwell in particular, because again, like we said, we didn't want to get into it especially. Um, This is from Kelman Chambers. Now, Kelman says, hi guys, still loving the pod, but struggling to remain optimistic for this season. Are we the most one-dimensional team in the league and the easiest to play against? Things need to change. The sign of a good coach slash manager slash technical director pick a title is that they develop a style of play to suit their players. At the moment, we are trying to play a Man City style, but with Bradford City players. We lack guile and passing ability from midfield and creative movement up front, both of which are needed for this style of play. I don't blame the defenders for passing across the back, for across the back four every time they look up. There's little or no options for them. Any team playing us just needs a low block, little pace up front, and they with a good chance of winning. It's, it's not helped by Rose lacking confidence. He needs some time out like Civic had, as this has made us quite porous at the back. If the management team can't see this, It may be time for them or the board to reassess their career choices. What's the answer? If I knew, I'd be commanding a much better wage than I currently get. But surely a mix-up of styles, maybe a bit more direct sometimes, would at least break the monotony of 70% possession and one or no shots on target. Keep up the good work, guys. Kelman. So, Scott, there's some points here, which, you know, some points that we spoke about. Some points I was actually saying to um, some other old colleagues across the across from us before the game uh, about how to approach the game and it's like you know no doubt your lot will have looked at us and you'll let Kent and Rolls have loads of the ball because you know there'll be no threat from there you will sit back uh, at certain points when we get up into your half but you'll press certain players when we're in the middle um and you'll look to take advantage on the break you'll look to take advantage of Kai Rolls who's not being full of confidence he's been making errors And we're not tactical in any way. We're not coaches. How is it the same thing happening again? And I said this during commentary and I was really struggling on Sunday to keep myself in check because obviously when I'm on commentary, I'm I'm not in a position where I can be just moaning about things as a fan. But
1: it it might as well have just been Denz Park again. It it was basically the same game. Yeah, I, I think what Kelman refers to, which is really interesting in that email, is the the comment made about us being too one-dimensional. Now, I think most teams in our league are one-dimensional. The difference being is we're not good within that one dimension just now. So that's where we are failing, where other teams, if you probably say Mirren and Motherwell are two of the best examples just now, they're one-dimensional, but they're well-drilled and they recruit players to fit within that style. I think the problem that we have is that there's a there's an imbalance between who we're recruiting and what we're trying to achieve on the park. I think if you look at, and I'll just put one, one example here, I think Tagawa is probably the most prominent example of where the recruitment and the tactics aren't quite matching up just now. So if you look at Hearts as a side, in terms of our budget, We should probably expect to have sixty to sixty-five percent possession in the vast bulk of our matches, out with of games against the old firm, and then potentially away to you know Hibs and Aberdeen, for example. Now, because of that, there is going to be a tendency for the opposition to come in and sit in at Tynecastle. So, where does Tagawa fit in with that in terms of playing up top? Because his, I would say his value or attributes that he could bring to a team would be be able to stretch teams in behind that back line. But if there's no room there to exploit, what does he bring to the team at present? So I think there's a, there's a bit of an issue over the weeks, you know, we've talked quite a lot about players individually, about Naismith, about McAvoy, but it is now starting to creep up towards questioning, well, You know, in terms of what we are looking at when we're recruiting players, why do we not seem to have the right players there? Now, in some instances, we're unfortunate because injury is, you know, uh, preventing us from having probably our best ball carrier from the centre half position in Halkett. It's probably preventing us from having our best central midfielder in terms of taking the ball in tight spaces and recycling possession. And it's probably hampering us from having probably our, our. you know, our most creative influence on the park in Barry Mackay. So there is a certain degree of that that you need to take into consideration. But but yeah, certainly in terms of what Kelman's mentioned, that was the point that really stuck out to me was the one about being one-dimensional because I think at this current moment in time, we're not even that. We're, we're incapable. We are we're, we look so disjointed on Sunday once more, both with and without the ball. And it really just became quite laboured and quite sort of, you know, the touches. Everyone looked panicked on the ball. No one really seemed to want to take responsibility on the ball, including players such as Alex Cochran, who are normally quite, you know, steady steady eddies, you know, you normally get a at least a six or a seven out of them. But even players like that looked really reluctant to drive on and, and try and sort of spur the team on to grabbing a goal. So that was probably the biggest red flag that I saw at least over the over the last performance.
2: The players are coached. One and two passes, but get it forward as quickly as possible. That's what's happening in training. Why is it not happening in a match? Is that simply down to, to fear that I mentioned earlier? Or is there something else that you both think that is a problem? If they're supposedly coached the right way, but are we trying to coach, the Scott's saying, players who maybe aren't used to playing in a certain way? Again, does it all go back to recruitment? Or is there something else? If they're coached well during the week, and training is good why does it fall down on a match tree?
0: one thing that a lot of people said when it came to the end of Robbie's tenure was that hearts had a decent squad you know th- that there was they were better than what they were showing Which just part of why Robbie had to leave and one thing I should say we've referred we referred back to Robbie Nielsen a few times we, we in no way certainly I don't I don't think Mark does or Scott does think that Robbie shouldn't have gone I think it's just a useful comparison to see has anything changed but when it comes to recruitment, one thing I've said a few times in this podcast down the years is I always felt like we've got too much, too many changes with players every summer. And it's part of part of why we then start a season. We're not as consistent. We're having to bed players in. And you never get that settled team that can have consistent, decent season after season. And I always thought we should be looking at more kind of smaller changes. Interestingly, I saw some tweets. So one from Neri's Topoker on Twitter, who posted about the fewest signings made by all SPFL clubs. Only three clubs in the entire SPFL made less signings than Hearts in the summer. Sterling Albion made three, Spartans five and St Merin six. Hearts made seven. Them and I think four or five others made seven. In terms of churn, I saw Pie and Bovril posting about the churn. So they've done this in terms of players in plus players out. So the churn of your staff, the churn of your players, how many changes you've had to make to the team. In the Premiership, Biggest was Dundee, thirty-eight. So that's sixteen players in plus twenty-two out. So they're just plusing the two. So it's an interesting way to see how much kind of upheaval there's been. Only two teams uh, had a less a lower churn than Hearts, St. Mirren and Livingston. So it was one of the least um, kind of one of the litt- littlest upheavals of all the teams. So what does that say then? For me, we should be going to the season. I mean, look at the Motherwell game. Nine of the starting eleven were players that were with us last season. So it's not been a big upheaval in staff. So does that mean that either we should have made more changes and we didn't, or are we just not getting the best out of the players that we've got? I think there are some gaps in there. There's some players that aren't performing, etc. But ideally, the way it usually works is the teams that don't make as many changes tend to start a season better because they're not trying to bed all these players in or work out how they fit into tactics etc but we we seem lost we had a decent opening four games and we've we've taken four points
2: It's always possible to turn things around okay. and I think it's a good time with the international break A that we don't have a fixture this weekend and B we're having this kind of deep dive right now How do you answer your own question and how does Scott answer your question there when you have the same set of players that got hearts to a position after they beat Hibbs in the Scottish cup were cruising in uh, in the league they they kicked on really well after the world cup and then the shit hits the fan so what's happened there and after the transfer window closed the January transfer signings earlier this year were not good okay so what happened was the disruption so how do you go from where you were to where you ended up without that much change when it was working before, but it didn't work when no change was made. So are we too reactive in our decision-making from the top? Are we that kind of club that's like, shit, that's happened, we need to do this now. Are we the club that thinks, you know what, this might happen, let's put this in place and let's be proactive about it. You can talk about change all you want. We should have, with the squad that we have, we should have a team capable of finishing third. Regardless of Aberdeen and Hibbs what they're paying or whatever, these players should be good enough to finish third. And they haven't started the season well, which leads me into the decision that was taken today. Is it the right decision or is it the wrong decision? I don't know. No one does. We will find out. However, going forward now, I think we, we need unity. We need unity in the boardroom. We need unity all the way down. That is how you get a successful football club. If everyone is batting in the same direction, I don't think we have that right now. And until we get that, I think we'll have more of these deep dives into what the problem is at heart of Lothian Football Club.
0: Yeah, just with something you said there, actually, Joel Sked um, is away at the moment, but he did want to add his, his um, tuppence worth. And he said after the news today, Um, he said, I wanted to add something which is worth discussing. The Hearts board, like the majority of others around the world, are far too reactionary. They either react to a poor run of form or react when a manager has done well and is taken by another club. They are very very rarely proactive. I mentioned this quite a bit under Nielsen. We should have replaced from from a position of strength rather than waiting for the downturn. I always look at Southampton replacing Nigel Atkins with Maurizio Pochettino. There was uproar when it happened, but check out the comments from the executive chairman. And Joel sent me a quote, um, well, a piece, I think it's maybe from the Guardian, or it was certainly a um, different newspaper. Uh, Southampton's executive chairman, Nicola Cortese, says, the decision has been made with the long-term ambitions of Southampton Football Club in mind. Whilst we acknowledge the contribution Nigel has made during the past two years for the club to progress and achieve our long-term targets, a change was needed. Uh, Mauricio is well respected coach of a substantial quality who has gained a reputation as an astute tactician and an excellent man-manager. I have every confidence that he will inspire a talented squad of players to perform at the highest possible level. He also shares my belief that the most successful clubs are built by nurturing young players through a development system that provides a clear path for the first team, thereby creating a culture that keeps them at the club for the long term. This is an approach he has employed with great success in the past, and I look forward to bringing that experience and expertise to Southampton." Um, so I thought that was quite apt with what with what Joel sent me, just with what you were saying there, Mark. Um, Scott, in terms of the the decision making here, now, you know you've said yourself, you know, you've been quite reasonable and we kind of tried to back things as much as possible. I know Mark and I, there was a few people were criticizing us in the summer when felt we were being too negative. We'd both admitted that we had, Naismith and the current coaching team hadn't been our first choice, mainly because we felt a more experienced head was needed. But you know, towards the end of the window, we tried to you tried to be positive because you don't want to spend the entire summer moaning. Um, you want to look ahead. It seemed like we had filled a few gaps. I'm still not convinced we've not that there isn't a decent squad there. Um, but how have we got into this position then, where obviously the board are under a lot of getting a lot of stick? And I'm going to get to that. I've got loads of tweets to get to. I'm going. I'm not probably going to get through them all, but I'll get to some. Um, have why have we? now got to a position where we've got someone who's very inexperienced in charge, we've had to flip the job titles around a couple of times and basically nobody's very happy and it's what how, how long ago since, what, five months if you take away the two months for the summer like was it three months of football since everyone was up in arms with the last manager how has it come to this?
1: I think before I, before I touch on that question there was just something I wanted to uh, mention, it was just in relation to what Mark had been saying around how have we found ourselves in this position, given the the relevant position and strength we had at times last season and the season before? So this is where I'm I'm, I'm going to try and sprinkle in a, a little bit of a caveat to to sort of defend uh, the club as a whole. There has been a, a lack of continuity within the spine of the team uh, over the last sort of 12 to 18 months. So we've lost Suter, we've lost Halkett at various stages, Kingsley, Gordon, Beningame. Haran and Boyce. So there's a real sort of core of a spine of a, yeah. what would make up a, a good and, you know, uh, I would imagine, side capable of competing in the Scottish Premiership. So I think there is an element of that that you have to take into consideration. Now, where it goes back to recruitment is where we've maybe failed to bring in players that are capable of coming in and doing a job in their absence. And that's when you start looking at certain individuals and, you know, whether it be down to them or just the fact that they've not been fancied, there's certain guys like Grant and Rolls and and sort of now, you know, certain individuals like Tagawa and that haven't hit the ground running. You then have to start, you know, going back to that question around recruitment and how players are identified and and what sort of role they're being identified for and whether it's going to fit in with the the sort of style that's preferred by the the current incumbent in the hot seat. Going back to what you mentioned, though, uh, Laurie, looking at what the board have done over the last few months, the board's sort of attempts to to sort of try and legislate for their decision making over the last few months has only heightened. I feel the anger and frustration that fans are feeling now. So if you go back to that. Uh, press conference that Andrew McKinley held with the press just shortly after relieving Robbie and bringing Naismith in as the the sort of temporary boss. The, it, it was quite a bullish, you know, interview, and, and in some ways it was quite impressive. I think I even said at the time when I was invited onto your show that you know it did come across quite proactive. There was a lot of chat about how there's constant succession planning in terms of bringing in managers, how they wanted a. You know, a proven winner, and and I felt quite confident. You know, hearing that from the the chief executive at the time. The problem is, is that rarely are we seeing see action that that sort of chimes with with what you're hearing. And again, we go back to some of the the sort of gusto and the sort of uh, the sort of hot air that was being expelled by by certain individuals like McKinley and Savage at points last season where there was talk about, well, we're not looking down, we're only looking up, then we want to challenge second, we want to split the old firm. Again, I feel that the appointment of Naismith, and I'm not just saying this from a revisionist point of view, I said this on the show at the time, I did not want Stephen Naismith installed as arch manager. And the reason for that being is it didn't chime with what the board had been saying up until that point. And I think that's where there is a lot of anger and there is a lot of frustration amongst the majority of the fans just now. So, going back to the point, I think in terms of the board just now, they haven't done themselves any favours, you know. They've said one thing, but then their actions have suggested something else. Now, again, that could be because there's a split in the board. It could be that Andrew McKinley is actually trying to, you know, He's trying to do what he says, but it could be that he's coming up against a certain sort of uh, dissent from other board members where they believe that Naismith was the right choice. We don't know that, so again, we can only hypothesise, but that's just my feeling on the matter just now.
0: Hepburn and McDonald have been making creative sign and print solutions since the 1950s. For more, visit fhmcdsigns.co.uk. You're listening to Scarves Around the Funnel, sponsored by Forrest Hepburn and McDonald Signs, who have been offering creative sign and print solutions since the 1950s. Before we carry on some chat and get to the kind of specifics of today's news, I did just want to say, um, Obviously, our, th- our thoughts and our best wishes are with Odell Fire, who was unfortunately uh, sent back to Brighton after having um, a scare during training, a health scare. Um, we don't know the exact details of that. It's not been made public. And if that's not the case, it shouldn't dig into it anymore. But I just want to say, obviously, we wish him all the best and we understand why he's had to be sent back and why he will certainly not be available for hearts anytime soon. In terms of the news today on the 6th of September, so Mark, I'll I'll come to you with this because I know you've got tennis to get to any point, so I want to make sure you get a chance to have your say on this. So Hartwood-Lothian can confirm a change to the club's coaching structure. It was always the intention that once we had only domestic people to focus on, our management team would revert to the structure that was in place at the end of last season. Accordingly, Stephen Naismith shall become head coach on a permanent basis with Frankie McAvoy returning to the position of assistant coach. That's just the direct quotes I've taken from the Heart of Midlothian website. So, Mark, is this a big refresh, a big chance to now get back to what was happening last season? Because obviously it wasn't it was a different structure for the start of the season or or is that contrary to what we were told?
2: There are seven people on the board of Hartman Lothian Football Club. Anne Budge, Andrew McKinley, James Anderson, Donald Cumming, Kevin Windrum, Jerry Mallon and Jackie Duncan. That is according to the Hartman Lothian Football Club official website. For me, they had three decisions to make. Don't do anything. Do this and put Stephen Naismith in charge, with Frankie McAvoy assisting, or have a complete playwright. Now, they've chosen to do this one. So let's delve a little bit deeper into the decision that they have made today to do this. What were their other options? All the management team signed the same contracts when they signed their deals permanently with Stephen Naismith as technical director, without knowing the terms and conditions of of each of these individual deals. I don't know what remuneration, don't have any interest in that whatsoever. But how does it work? Knowing fine well that we weren't going to win this competition, the Europa Conference League, so the likelihood was that there's probably going to be a change. This seems very much rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. Now, Stephen Naismith might be a great coach, but is he being hindered by what's alongside him? Could you have done Stephen Naismith as head coach with a different backroom staff with either Gordon Forrest and somebody else? Is Frankie McAvoy his position? Is that the problem here? Is Gordon Forrest the problem here? Because there's been a problem so far. So if we just switch things around, if we move the problem to a different spot. So the question has to be, has the right decision been made to do this? Or could they have cleared out everything and said, you know what? Those seven members of the board admit we got it wrong. We got it wrong. We don't know if they have got it wrong because Stephen Naismith might take hearts into Europe and get the five million next season and it all might be it might smell of roses. We don't know right now. And this is this is what the decision makers are. The big question here is do we have the right people making the decisions at the football club?
0: I'm gonna I'm gonna go to the fans for this one. So let's have some reaction. Um so we asked some people, you know, do they think that Naismith needs a, deserves a clean slate? Is it the right decision? Was more drastic measures required? Um, So let's go through some of the replies we got. Sam Moffat said, pretty embarrassing situation to be in. I don't think Naismith gets a clean slate because he's apparently been in charge anyway. The budge regime has got a lot of things right. However, the majority of managerial appointments have been a disaster. Stuart Ritchie says this season is beginning to look like a missed opportunity. The old firm look weaker than they have for some time. Aberdeen and Hibs have started slowly too. Far too early to judge Naismith and I hope we resist knee-jerk manager sackings, which is rife in football these days. Ralph Smith says not so much a clean slate but a last chance. So far the tempo and style of play has been completely opposite to the way we ended last season. This has to change quickly. If he is to have any chance of staying in the job beyond November... Jonathan Moore says he's been in the media mourning about how shite we are and saying it's not how they've been set up, beyond embarrassing. Don't agree with the dictators and analogy, though. The Titanic only sank once. <laughs> there you go. Um The Old Castle Rock says was never excited when, with Naismith. But aside from him, we don't have a particularly strong squad. Who can also honestly say we've strengthened at any position since 21-22 f- finished? We've replaced the quality of suitor with roles, Civic levels. Uh, Square Sausage Ninja says nothing has changed. I can't, cannot see how the, changing the job titles is going to improve performances. I think he'll be sacked by Christmas. Uh, Rogue Daddy says I just can't believe that whilst being in the best shape I can remember off the pitch we're such a basket case on it. I really like Naismith. I really do. And I think there's a place for him with hearts but just get a proper manager. We're professionally run until it comes to the team team. Uh, Neil School says, "We all know it's not a clean slate. McAvoy should have been sacked. Both will be gone by Christmas." Gavin Wallace says, "No, the club from top to bottom is a laughing stock. The board need emptied from top to bottom. Jobs for the boys with this lot. With a club going nowhere under this leadership, an utter shambles." Grant Haddon says, "Nope. Anyone who's been watching the games can see he clearly had an influence over the team 100. percent I hope it works. I really do, as I cannot sit through another insipid display like Sunday. Just gone." Uh, took me back to the Cathro days. And there's a few people who um, mentioned it being a bit of a, a kind of lose-lose situation here, um, Scott, so I'm not going to go into them all, but um, there was a lot of people feeling that, what does this say about the team? Because if things do pick up from Aberdeen, does that say there was a, poor decision making in terms of putting the structure in place and in fact McAvoy was making calls and if nothing does change then have we just like Mark says, we've rearranged the deck chairs and it's just a different way of structuring the same thing
1: I think for me, history normally it takes that the home side wins just now in terms of between ourselves and Aberdeen so I'm not going to put too much stock into that game in terms of the result, it'll be interesting to see if the performance changes and if it's similar to how we performed against Aberdeen last season, which probably helped Naismith in terms of that audition for the permanent role. I think we've got to now give it, albeit this might be against a better judgment, but I think we've got to give Naismith the next sort of seven games. So that would include Aberdeen at home. I think there were then a to St. Mirren, Kelly in the Cup, then Ross County. And then we have that sort of triple feature against the old Furman Hibbs. As much as that could leave us in quite a precarious situation, I think we need to give them that next seven games and we need to see how that goes. And then hopefully the board then make a decision. Hopefully they don't have to make one. Hopefully, I mean, we, as much as you always want to be proven right as a, as a human being and an individual, as a football fan, there's nothing better than sometimes being proved wrong. And I'm hoping that we are all wrong in this situation and that in a month's time, we're looking back on this and we're, we're laughing, you know, at, at the pant in and, and, you know, just, just how sort of disgruntled we got off the back of a, a sort of dip in form. But I wanted to sort of go back to the board and I wanted to mention two events that, that sort of actually come post, uh, or sorry, pre-April 2023 that that have maybe led to the board making this decision. The first is back in summer of last year when we made the decision to hand Robbie Nielsen and his coaching staff brand new three-year deals as a sort of, I I would imagine that was a, a sort of thank you or a reward for the fact that they'd done such a good job during the previous 12 months. I think that in itself was a mistake. I did mention last week that I've always felt that as good a coach as Robbie is, I do think that he has a ceiling and I think that Harch will represent a zenith in his managerial career. I don't think we needed to go out handing three-year contracts to those individuals. I think we should have kept an incentive there for them to keep doing well and keep sort of, you know getting rewards on a year-to-year basis rather than that long-term contract. Now, could it be that the money that we've had to put aside for that has meant that we've had to then scale back when it came to looking at Robbie Nielsen's successor? That's something only the board could answer, I suppose. The other event that sort of predates all of this that that maybe has went into their thinking is the Daniel Stendhal appointment. Could it be that The one time that under Ann Budgie's reign, we've sort of looked at a, a more exotic proposition. We've went in for someone who's maybe wanted to reinvent the wheel. Has she maybe looked back at that or have the board looked back at that and said, well, he came in, he upset a lot of players, he wanted to change everything overnight. That involves a lot of money and it involves a sort of high turnover in players and we're not looking for that this summer. So could it be that maybe... You know things that have happened even well before the last six months have maybe had a huge impact on on the situation that we now see ourselves in now. Mark,
0: if you had been in charge in this two <laughs> week, if in this two week, I know, I, I, I know it's a hypothetical. You're not, you're not in charge. If, if if you'd been in charge in this this two week break after what you'd seen, if you were the one making the shot, if it was Romanov days, where this one person can just make the call. Um, okay. Would you have said, right? No, we need to stick to what we planned. We're going to keep with the structure. We're going to kind of do the reshuffling that was always on the cards, and we're going to give it time. Or would you have said, you know what? We we've tried the patient approach before. Let's just strip it back and say, you know what? We 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 are going to admit that we made the wrong decision here. We're going to completely take out the coaching staff and we're going to go with someone more experienced. We're going to take this two-week break to try and sort that out and basically just accept that we made a mistake but we're being proactive this time.
2: If, if, if you could have made the call. so hmm. well, The call was made at the start of the season to have Stephen Naismith as the technical director and Frankie McAvoy as the head coach. Yeah, Has you're, that avoiding,
0: you're avoiding you're avoiding the Answered getting the to question. the
2: point, excuse me, mm-hmm. getting to the point. That decision was made then, which turns out it was the wrong decision. So are we trusting the same people to totally change the structure of the management team and bring in new people? Look, I'm all for I'm all for making the right decision because every every appointment's a gamble and and, and I'm but all what for... should
0: be said as well. It wasn't like putting Nesmith in charge was an unpopular Decision, I, we you know it wasn't our first choice, but a lot of people were very keen on it. So it's not yeah, like but, it was one I mean, of these the people.
2: Know. The people that were very keen on it are also the same people, like the board and like most of us, who weren't totally aware of the UEFA stipulations that said yeah. that you yeah. have to have that. So look, it's it's like when they call it over here Monday, Monday morning quarterbacking. Everything's easy after the event and after it's happened. Was the right decision made at the time? No, I don't think it was. Now, what I would say is £15,769,597. As of last month, the Foundation of Hearts pledgers have raised that amount. Could this be a time now where there is a restructuring of the hierarchy and sensible fans have more say? I am not 100% sure how the Foundation of Hearts works as far as, obviously, we've got Jerry Mallon uh, on the board representing that. Could the board be um, added to with with another voice? But then you have the fans' aspect of potential knee-jerk reactions and let's get him if he's lost X, Y, or Z. I would have liked to have seen a fresh start. Um, I would have liked to have seen the board maybe look outside the box but it's they, they did they've already done this they've already looked outside the box and seen what they've seen they've interviewed yeah. they've interviewed and elected it was the same one so I'm about I have to say being over here obviously I keep up to date with hearts all the time every single day I don't know what's going on at Hibs but I have read that Nick Montgomery could be getting that job that worries me that worries me he's a player or sorry a manager I identified as someone I wanted uh, certainly hearts to, to to look at um, we knew a little bit about Sufentes. But we didn't go down that road. So what happens if Heb's appoint Nick Montgomery and they throw money at him and they give him the, the options and they do better than Hearts and we're still stuck um, treading water? So it's, it's a subjective opinion. Right now, they've made the choice. I think we have to get behind Stephen Naismith and I think all Hearts fans will. I don't think the ire right now is with the management team, i.e. Stephen Naismith. I think the ire is directed above that. But that's not going to be helpful if there are protests or whatever there are, they are coming up at Tynecastle. Um, that, that's not going to be great for, for the football team as a whole. So they've made the decision, they've made their bed, they're going to have to lie in it. But as I said right at the start, I don't think now, with everything that's happened at the start of this season, that Steven Smith will get as long as perhaps he would hope for if nothing changes.
0: Yeah, I mean, you asked the question as well on Twitter via, you know, um, quoting us as well, and it's the around the funnel account. You know, is it just a rearranging of the deck chairs? And James Govan said, Well back any manager, but the last few years it's just been one experiment after another. When are we going to appoint a proven manager with a decent record?" Um, and it's interesting because it was mentioned by Scott as well. You know, since this board have taken over, so we pointed Robbie Nielsen, who was an internal one, um, Ian Cathro, who had no experience as a manager, but obviously was a quite highly highly regarded coach. Um, we appointed the director of football internally, Craig Levine, obviously took over as manager. We then appointed Daniel Stendel. Um Robbie Nielsen returned and now Stephen Naismith. So, you know, throughout that, I guess the only the only times that we've really appointed experienced managers has been Craig Levine, I suppose, even though he wasn't a manager at the time, but he was working at the club Daniel Stendhal and Robbie Nielsen returning. So we knew Robbie Nielsen already. Craig Levine worked at the club. So I think it's an interesting point that Scott makes that I don't know if that's why the board feel cautious because the only time they've maybe got out and found someone who was a manager, who was already managing at a decent level and had done well, because remember, bear in mind at the time, Daniel Stendhal, his stock was reasonably high. He was obviously in the championship, Barnsley struggled, but he did very well to take them up um from League One playing very entertaining football and he was very well liked down there. So I think as a manager who's done well at League One in England, that's that's a decent acquisition. Um and it just didn't work out. And although there was lots of extenuating circumstances, I think we saw from the football that it just it was likely to fail, I think, longer term. Um is that why, Mark, in your opinion There seems to be maybe a reluctance to go out there and just, you know, we we saw some links with Cifuentes at Hammer Bay. Uh, A few people were keen on that. Everything's a risk, of course. Everything's a risk. But there hasn't been an awful lot of looking outside the box recently from Hearts. Can you understand that? Or is it something that maybe the board need to be a bit braver about?
2: Every decision is a gamble. Appointing Stephen Naismith as the manager was a gamble. Appointing Frankie McAvoy as the manager of a Gamble, whether it's Nick Montgomery, Sefuentes, whoever. But it's easier
0: when it's someone who's there. And and a few people, again, if I'm, I'm quoting, have mentioned taking the cheaper option by appointing someone who was already a coach at the club.
2: I think Hearts is a very well-run football club as far as finance is concerned, with the backers, with the pledges, and with the balance sheet. If it's down to money, then I think there's a problem, and I don't think it is. So I'm going to wrap this up, because uh, the players have just come out on court. Here and I'm looking forward to hearing the next kind of I don't know 45 minutes for for on this podcast when I listen 45 back to get you well I, I, whatever after you edit it or whatever <laughs> I, what I would say and, and just to kind of give both sides of the story about talking about adding to the board it, it becomes difficult in that that just more voices it could be dissenting so I think we need to try and find unity there's no point disagreements not a, not a problem for me yes you're going to get disagreements and that's that's that can be healthy but not to the extent whereby it affects the management decisions. And I don't know where we, we, we'll, we'll finish this season, and I really hope we finish start under Stephen Naismith, because then the board would, you could give them a pat on the back that so ultimately they reached the right decision, albeit it was a circuitous route to do so. But the other one against that would be, if it isn't working, don't wait too long. And right now, even although they've just announced this today, this should be the day that they start looking for the next manager to Heart of Hartmid Lothian Football Club, and hopefully they don't need to make that appointment for quite some time.
1: Okay,
0: thank you to Mark for joining us from the US Open. He did have to dash because his next match was just about to start, but it was a good way to close off his part. In the podcast, I had been going through some of the messages that, that he received to his question about was this just a case of rearranging the decks. Um, uh, John Mitchell said the club is a shambles from top to bottom, jobs for the boys all over the shop. Um, I've never felt more distance from the club, the communication levels are non-existent. Um, uh, Talking Tiny said it would be interesting to hear you guys' thoughts on the board at Hartford Loathing, which I think we've gone into a little bit, but he said pressure mounting on them massively. Phil Fielding says it does feel like a rearranging of the deck chairs. I hope I'm wrong, but I feel we've taken if we'd taken a gamble on Nick Montgomery it would have been a better option. Hopefully he fails in Edinburgh. Obviously away to Hibs at this point. Um Matty JK was mentioned what I mentioned, what I talked about earlier about kind of a lot of people saying it's a lose-lose. Um, if performances and results pick up, fans will demand to know who signed off on Frankie McAvoy, being given actual control. If the same shit keeps getting served up, the season will be done. Millions squandered and the board will need to start the process all over again. Um, Ian Buckle, same old story with hearts, cheap option to try to be clever and look smart but actually end up looking like clowns, the management team and coaching setup um has been around since Levine and it, what has it really achieved, really need massive clean sweep behind the scenes Harry Temple said remove a lot of them um, I, I will go into some of the, some of the other angles here because some people were a little bit more kind of neutral slash constructive and balanced so I um, Andrew Wallace says, nobody knows about how this will work out. yet. Yeah, I'm sure we'll find out in the next month or two. Flitch said, Naismith will need to be kept on a tight leash results-wise. This buys him more time, but it's also time hearts don't really have. Recruitment has not been at the level I would expect, and once more the board has struggled to make the right appointments. All in all, a bad combination. Sorry, I actually highlighted that one as positive slash neutral, but it's probably shown <laughs> show, show what I had to work with. Um Barry O'Donnell did say, it depends on how much control he had previously, which I'm hoping by the performances was not as much as he will have. Craig says, he deserves a clean slate, in my opinion. A lot of talk about who was really in charge so far this season, but it's very possible Hearts didn't take the risk and McAvoy might actually have been in charge. We've seen what he wants to do from the end of last season and at times this season. We know how high his standards are. I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt. Ralph Smith says, not so much a clean slate, but a last chance. So far, the tempo and style of play has been completely opposite to the way we ended last season. That has to change quickly if he's to have any chance of staying in the job beyond November. Simon Withers says, the board have eventually righted their wrong. However, the whole setup has been a disaster. And even with Naismith now the front man, he's been part of the coaching team that's failed up until now. Too early to sack him, but if results don't improve over our next four games, he goes... Um, Mrs Miko says we'd make it clear he's on borrowed borrowed time at the best end of October we should be in a cup semi-final by then we should have a queue of guys waiting at the door for this job not running a work experience programme I don't blame Savage for this I blame McAvoy Andy D says if McAvoy's been picking the team in tactics etc and not Naismith and Naismith deserves a chance based um, on that until the end of based on the end of last season however this has been an absolute shambles if no improvement by the end of the month then they all have to go Um, Neil Hunter, Naismith for me still deserves a chance that's just my opinion, Rosenborg game showed what he he and these players can do but September is humongous and no way back from if it goes south Savage on the other hand should be shown the door immediately Mike Bradley says we will only find out after the break if it's the same if the style doesn't change and we're still labouring in possession then he has to go the next six games has to have drastic change or he's out the door Craig McD says best to support the team and get behind them. Direct criticism, booing and negativity doesn't help. I'd say he needs a chance, perhaps not a clean slate, but a chance. Um, two or three more here. Mad Max is: we cannot be changing managers every time we suffer a couple of defeats or we just become a joke club like our neighbours. Let's get behind Nasey until the end of the season and see where we are. John Ross is: I think he has six to eight games. That's six to eight, I should say. It's not six to eight. Um, to change a lot of people's opinions if things don't change drastically uh, we will see another change and uh, A, we'll see another change and B, we're going to be in some serious trouble and um, finally Baz Lightbeer says, was willing to give him the first 11 games as that's a fair barometer in my opinion Scott, wh- wh- what are we looking at here, so there's a lot of different time frames there, some people saying the next game 2 games, 4 games, 6 games, end of the season, 11 games, a lot of Different was it? What are we looking at then? Because you mentioned some of the fixtures coming up. Aberdeen at home. Traditionally, the home team wins that fixture. St so Mirren away, on away, Ross County away. This some huge games coming up. You know, it can be make or break, and you don't want to say, you don't want to say, you, you you've only got till the end of September or whatnot. But you know, if if we lose the majority of these games, you know, not only will we be out the cup, but we'll be at the wrong end of the table. You know, twenty seven percent win rate out of 11 league games since we kind of got rid of Robbie Nielsen. It's relegation form. So what are we looking at here from Aberdeen in the games after it? Is it about seeing an obvious change of style? Is it about just grinding out some results and ending? Because we've lost four games in a row now in all competitions. What do we need to see?
1: I think, unfortunately, because of the the start that we've had to the season, we don't have the luxury now of, say, giving Naismith a... Say a six or seven game spell where you can look back on it and say, "Well, you know what? You only won two or three out of that seven, but I can see what you were trying to do. There's been a an increase in our tempo. We're more aggressive in the press. There's more cohesion in the in the team as a whole. The problem is, is that that seven game spell already happened last season, and this is why some fans were relatively positive over the summer regarding the appointment because although we'd only won two out of seven matches in his tenure, we'd seen enough, enough evidence to suggest that we're aggressive, we're on the front foot, we're wanting to do things right, he understands the expectations of the supporters. We've, all, we've pretty much undone all that good work from that seven-game spell and he's now, just in my opinion, in a position where results need to come, regardless of performance. Now, where I think there's a huge red flag just now, we've, we've talked a lot tonight and, and over social media about performance, about recruitment, about the board, about the fans' expectation, about this and about that. There's one thing we haven't sort of highlighted, which is one of the biggest red flags for me just now, and that's motivation. And I am seeing some unmotivated players on the park just now. And I think Warren Shankland is probably the prime example. Uh, he looks so disengaged. He's looked fairly disengaged for the majority of the season so far. And albeit he's still contributing in terms of goals and you can never take that away from him. But I think when your talisman looks that dejected and the body language looks so low in him. And again, there could be factors in that in terms of his, his head's been turned or you don't know what's happening just now in terms of potential transfers or or what his agent might be trying to, to pull in the background. But that, to me, is going to be the you know the hardest obstacle just now for Stephen Naismith. You can work on the team Monday to Friday. You can come up with shape, come up with a game plan. But for me, some of those players look like they're, they're disinterested. The other ones, unfortunately, look like they're drowning in maroon jerseys, particularly away from home because of the expectation of the crowd. So that's that's what we really need to see change. But unfortunately, due to how we've started the season, we can't now just look at it from a performance base. It, there needs to be instant results now over the course of the next six or seven games.
0: So I'm, I'm thinking back to last season in March, Obviously, Robbie Nielsen was under a bit of pressure. We went to Petorgley, we got smashed 3-0, and it was it was embarrassing. You know, Aberdeen were home and hosed within less than 30 minutes going 3-0 up. Now that made it four defeats out of five. We did beat St. Johnson 3-0 at Tynecastle in there, but we lost 2-0 away to Motherwell. Very disappointing performance. We lost twice to Celtic, which I suppose in itself isn't terrible. But you know, the home game, especially in the cup, was a very, very meek. Um, Attempt to to be in that game Again it felt like it was done early on Celtic went 1-0 up in two minutes And it just felt like hearts were never in it Now they had that two week break and that felt Sort of pivotal at that point didn't it In terms of right We'd had a lot of European games early in the season Um, We'd come back looking okay After um, The World Cup but we lost a few players With injury, so it felt like we needed a break and needed to reset the batteries and come back And hopefully have a reaction It was the two games after that that really ended Robbie Nielsen's tenure because it felt like, right, they've had two weeks to sort things out, to motivate themselves, get players sharper again, work on tactics. We came back, Rugby Park, although we won a lot early on through Launch Shanklin, Hearts are woeful again. They lost 2 1, thoroughly deserved. They played half an hour plus against 10 men and couldn't get away back into it. And then the final nail in the coffin was home to St. Mirren. The game after that, Hearts lost 2 0 at Tank Castle, and again, barely laid a glove on St. Mirren. Are we in a similar position? I know it's not exactly the same. I know Robin Nielsen beat the club for a long time. It was kind of getting towards the business end of the season. But we've got this international break. Would you say it's that crucial? If we come back from this international break and we go in and we play Aberdeen and we lose and it looks like nothing's changed. We go to St Mirren, which ironically was the the team that Robin Nielsen played the second game back after the international break and lost to and lost his job. And we lose that one. Could we be in a situation where there just isn't a choice that we, we a decision has to be made that is a lot more drastic than what's been made so far?
1: I think there is a, a potential parallel that can be drawn between the the, the two sort of uh, instances. The problem is, is that there's so much rumor and innuendo that's still ongoing regarding how Robbie Nielsen handled that international break and how that might have had a bigger impact. On the board's decision to let them go than the results themselves. That yes. it's really hard to gauge whether there could be something similar under Smith's uh, sort of regime. I think it, it again it goes back to players' uh, mentality. You know, d- should we be beating teams like Kilmarnock and that, even if we're maybe not at our best. There's an argument to say that we should be. Now, in some of those games, there was a lot of individual errors. You know, the Kilmarnock game, Xander Clark has a couple of bad mistakes when we're a go-up. Uh, you know, set plays were obviously coming into play, which I think you could probably point more towards the management staff than the, the players themselves. So there was a few factors kind of thrown in, thrown in together. I think with the information that we have, all we can really do is hope that, You know, he works with the players that he has. There'll undoubtedly be maybe five, six or seven players who'll be away during that international break. He'll work with the players that he has. He tries to work on their confidence. He tries to work on, you know, what we need to be, you know, doing better at. So set plays for and against. Again, we seem to be overloading. The, the, the penalty box and kind of causing more confusion when we're defending rather than, say, maybe leaving one or two men up top and maybe going to a more man-to-man uh, sort of the adopted approach when we're defending set plays. When we're attacking set plays, we're barely getting it past the first man where we're looking really poor in that regard just now. So there is a lot that we, we can work on, but I think ultimately mentality and, uh, you know, Getting the players in the right head headspace has to be the top priority because you can work day in, day out on shape, tactics, and game plans, but if the players aren't in the right headspace, it's not really going to matter against most of these sides. So that's really where he needs to earn his corn. And this is where we undoubtedly don't know whether he's you know, he's he's got that in his locker as a manager. We know that he was a, you know, he was a very not an inspiring player, but I think he was a player who could get the best of individuals around him because he you know, he wasn't afraid to tell players when they were doing things wrong, when they were doing things right. And I think when you watch what he was like at Hearts, I think he did get the balance right you know, in terms of dealing with the younger players and knowing what to say to some of the experienced pros as well. But I really couldn't tell you if, if he's got that in his locker as a manager. But I suppose we're going to find out over the next few weeks.
0: That just about brings us to the end of this week's Scarves Around the Funnel podcast, sponsored by Forrest Hepburn and McDonald Signs, offering creative sign and print solutions since the 1950s. Before we go, just to lighten things up a little bit, we don't have a Hearts men's team uh, game to look forward to, thankfully. Can't lose this weekend. Uh, big game for the women's team at the weekend. We should highlight, though, it's the Edinburgh Derby, the Capital Cup on Sunday, you can get tickets for that. Um, pop onto the Hearts website. They are free, but you do need to get a ticket. It's 10 past four on Sunday. Tank Castle Park, the Hearts women against the Hibs women. So, um, a big game. Capital Club Cup up for grabs. Um, Hearts lifted it last time after a penalty shootout victory in February. The Hearts women's team have started the season pretty positively. So, if you can, get along and support them. Um, the night before... There's a Big Hearts Gala. We, of course, had Craig Wilson from Big Hearts on previously, so you can still grab tickets for that. Should be a, a fantastic night. Uh, Paul Hartley, Darren Barr, Mark DeVries, some of the guests, they'll be heading along to that one. Get on their website, bighearts.org.uk, if you still want to go hear from those fantastic guests. And I'm sure there'll be um, plenty more in ways of entertainment for that one. Um, what are you doing this weekend, Scott, given there's no Hearts game? Just relaxing?
1: So I'm in two minds, I don't know what to do on Sunday I'm torn between attending the women's game Or going to the the Scottish Masters football at Brayhead Uh, I'm probably going to swing towards the Brayhead one Because there's just a bit of me that quite fancy seeing If Pasquale Bruno's still got a little bit of swagger Uh, So it'll be interesting to maybe watch that And
0: for younger listeners, can you tell them uh, what the Masters what the Masters I, I, Oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> Tenant
1: Sixes, Masters, all these things. I know a uh, t- Tenant Sixes uh, to you and me. But, but yeah, so basically, the Scottish Masters is an opportunity for clubs to put together a, a sort of team of seasoned ex pros that have represented their club uh, sort of yesteryear. So the Hearts team has Roddy McKenzie, it has uh, Pasquale Bruno, it's got Colin Cameron, it's got Ryan Stevenson, Ian Black. Ozzy and there's one or two others that I am struggling to remember now. Uh, but there's also <laughs> going to be a Hibs team there, if you fancy going along and sort of taking a bit of part in the, the pantomime villain booing. There'll be the Leipzig Derek Rardin and Chris Killenty boo in the Hibs ranks. There's going to be a Celtic and Rangers team there as well. So there is still limited tickets uh, available. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's around 25 to £30, I can't remember exactly, but somewhere around that mark. But yeah, if you've got the chance to go, it's well worth it. It's a really good event and it's a lots of fun and I think that's probably what we need this weekend. I think we all need a bit of a break from it all. Uh, so (laughs) that would be my recommendation Uh, but also failing that, definitely go and and sort of follow the women's team because as Laurie's mentioned, they are doing really well they are definitely a side that are benefiting from a bit of continuity in their management and you can see how they're progressing year on year they've got more full-time players now in their ranks and they really have started this season well, Uh, they're competing well against the big sides as well, there's really a goal of a difference now in most of these matches so yeah, if you can't make it to Brayhead then definitely Definitely, got a ten castle instead.
0: Like you say, to to us, it was the Tenant sixes. I mean, the the year the Tenant sixes was discontinued. I, I turned what did I turn? Eight seven that year. God, my maths was still almost terrible there. I don't remember it. Um,
1: <laughs>
0: in terms of another game, just to mention, if you're around East Lothian or protector particular, uh, it's the Dunsire. Donaldson Derby Musselburgh Athletic against Pennycook Athletic at the Olive Bank on Saturday at 2.30 I may try and get along to that one but I do have family visiting this weekend so it might not be feasible but if there you is, can
1: There is a Johnny along. Stewart testimonial as well where they're playing against a Select arch team a uh, oh, the team that Gary Locke's put together I can't ah, remember that's...
0: who's in that Yes I remember that one as well is that on the Sunday I, ah, think? I can't
1: remember if it's the Saturday or the Sunday now
0: Take us to are... Try and desperately find things that aren't actual Hearts games to go to. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there you go. There's some homework for you, but we'll be back on next week. We won't have a game to review. We will be looking ahead to Aberdeen, but if you want to let us know what other things that you managed to get up to at the weekend when Hearts weren't playing, then why not tweet us at Around the Funnel or email podcast at scarvesaroundthefunnel.co.uk. The Johnny Stewart testimony match is on Sunday, one o'clock kickoff at New Dundas Park. So there's yet another option. It's Bonnie Rig rose legends against the hearts legends so that could be interesting um squads include I'm just open the page um johnny stewart um who else is there oh, louis swanson is there i uh, don't know much of the i'm trying to look if i know it anyone anyone the boner team i don't but in terms of the hearts legends team you've got ryan mcgowan of course I could forget. Jason Thompson, Gary Glenn, Christoph Berra, Ryan Stevenson, David Templeton, Andy Webster, Dylan McGowan, both McGowans there. I might, I might go with this now. Craig Beatty, Gary Naismith, Gary Wales, Jose Katongo, it's a de- decent team. Miles Hogarth and the Sticks. There we go. Sunday sorted. Johnny Stewart. Some of those guys are match. pulling
1: double duty. Some of those guys are involved in the Masters as well. I don't oh, think this why? Masters team's going to do very well on Sunday. <laughs> which, which, one on <laughs> which one comes first?
0: Which one comes first? Johnny Stewart comes first. Ah, okay, yeah, <laughs> they're not doing well in that Masters. No, team. I think a few are pulling not. out. Anyway, wherever you get up to the weekend, enjoy. It. Hearts can't lose, so there's always that. Until next time, thanks for tuning in.